0: Good afternoon. I'm your host, Jimmy Kim, and you're watching the greatest show on the planet, The Jimmy Kim Show. Today, we have a very special episode. I'm interviewing Harris County Commissioner Precinct 4, Jack Cagle. And to the audience, you may not know this, but Harris County is actually the third largest county in the whole country. Right, Jack? That's right. You have a tremendous amount of constituents there that you have to lead in the right direction and represent. All right, so anyways, we're going to go ahead and get started, so Jack, please introduce yourself to the audience and tell them who you are. Well, Jimmy, it's
1: a delight to be with you today. My name is Jack Cagle. I have the privilege of serving the folks of Harris County Precinct 4. Uh, Now, for many folks, they may not know where Harris County Precinct 4 is since we recently had redistricting and the precinct lines were changed. And not just changed a little, they were changed radically. Uh, every four every 10 years we have a census and after the census because we believe in one person one vote we try to uh, equalize the precincts every county is the same they have four commissioners and a county judge to where they have roughly the same number of voters in each precinct we needed to move 200,000 people but our last commissioner's court in October decided to move 2.3 million people instead of 200,000. So almost half of the 4.7 million people of Harris County got a new commissioner. And so whereas Precinct 4 historically has been more on the north side of the county, we now have the privilege of serving the folks that are on the west side. And that would be from a little bit of Tomball, Hockley, Katy, Cinco Ranch, and then circling on around into a little bit of Meyerland and then a little River Oaks.
0: Interesting. So they're fortunate to have you now. The, for your new district.
1: <laughs> it's exciting and it's kind of like a homecoming because before right. I was a commissioner I was a judge where right. I served the entire county and had oh, the privilege right. of working for a lot of folks there and then before that I was a lawyer and I had the privilege of working with many members uh, throughout the county and in fact a very large uh, immigrant community at the time. In fact, what of what a lot of what I did was what I used to call pretty boy work where uh, folks where English was actually their second language. But they were brilliant in their practice of law, would ask me to come in and, and do their presentation of a case before a jury or before a judge. And so I got to work with a lot of, of our uh, local lawyers to where they, they wanted someone to be that voice. And so I, I used – you know, I have a face made for radio. And the voice,
0: too. So we, we need to rename the show to The Pretty Boy Show, Jack, <laughs> based on some of your experience. <laughs> So tell us more about that career as a judge, or does that pretty much sum all of it? Because I know you did that for quite a bit, so there's probably more to tell in regards to that. You, were you there doing that for about 10 years?
1: Um, 10, 11 years. Before okay. that, I was a practicing attorney throughout throughout the region. Did a lot of right. trial work, mostly representing small businesses, right. mom-and-pop corporations, and also assisting a lot of folks that were – Needing a lawyer to, to present their case in court. You know, a lot of lawyers are very good at the paperwork, but not so comfortable, especially right. when you have a language issue. Yes. And so I did, did that work for almost 12 years there as well. Oh. Uh, you as had a firm? I had a firm. Uh, Kegel & Associates and so uh, my offices were off of the 1960 area up on the north side and then before that I actually was a partner in a firm on the south side of the county in the Sagemont area Clear Lake area okay Uh, and so I had a I loved being a lawyer the thing I liked about being a lawyer most was going to court and then I got to be a judge and I got to go to court every day and that was a a wonderful experience where uh, after but after about 726 727 jury trials I was ready for a new opportunity. And so in 2011, um, the opening came up and I applied to Judge Emmett, who was the county judge at the time because there was a vacancy. And so he appointed me and then I had to immediately
0: run for election for uh, serving the people of Precinct 4. Okay. So it seems like all the activities that you're currently involved in, you're very passionate about. I can just see it. I feel the energy, Jack. Well, well, that's correct, right? Am I, is my intuition
1: right? It is. The, <laughs> the, one of the things about being a judge is you've got to make a difference in people's lives. And, yes. and you know, half the time people would think that you were brilliant and the other half, if you ruled against them, not so much so. Um, but but you were able to, to make a difference. But the role of a judge is to look in the rearview mirror and to see, okay, where did something go wrong? And then how do you remedy it as best as possible? Those experiences were very helpful to me as a commissioner because your job as a commissioner is to try to look into the future and to try to see what you can do to make where we are a better place, to plan for your mobility, for your roads, to plan for your green spaces, to make sure that there's a place for folks to have recreation and a place for your water to flow into. You know, our our parks uh, historically in the old precinct four would fill up with water every time there was a, a storm and it would make you feel sad until you realize that that water is in a park instead of in somebody's house. Hmm. And so that was that place for it to go. And so – and part of our job also as a commissioner is to make sure that that we have adequate funding for the core basics. When When I was a judge, my youngest daughter, who is the spunkiest – I have three kids uh, and and the youngest is now twenty. But when she was little, she would every now and then tell her friends that. And I was a civil judge, mind you, that did car wrecks and contracts and yes. and uh, and commercial uh, some some real estate type things. Um, but she would tell her friends that they had to do what she said, or her daddy, who was a judge, would put them in jail. Uh, and then I became a commissioner, and she had a hard time figuring out. Okay, what I'm going to do? What I'm going to tell my friends? You know, my daddy's a commissioner, and he's going <laughs> to commission you. Uh, and so. Uh, a lot of folks like her didn't really know what is it that a commissioner does. And so I had to kind of break it down. Preachers preach, teachers teach, uh, doctors doctor, and commissioners commission. And what we do is we commission public service. Yes. Uh, so we fund the jail. We, f- we fund public safety. We fund the constables. We fund the sheriff's office. We fund the the judicial salaries, some of our judges are state judges. We fund the courthouse and their support staff and only a part of their salary, but we we fund public safety. We fund yes. flood control. And, and we, we vote on what those uh, allocations will be out of the public side of the equation. We fund the fire marshal's office. We commission those to be done. We also do parks and we're very proud of our county parks. Uh, I, I know that them. it's i yeah. know that it's not glorious but but i believe that you know the the bathrooms in the parks need to be clean and that's my job is to make sure that if you're in a county park that a we have enough of them available to the public so that there's a place for folks to go and to play and to live and to enjoy their family uh and to, to breathe uh, but also uh that they are a place that you are proud of, that the grass is mowed and that the bathrooms are clean. It's not glorious for some folks. Uh, we in the, we're in this debate all the time with other members of Commissioner's Court who feel like we should be involved in global issues and national issues and telling Austin what to do. But at the end of the day, uh, taking care of public safety, taking care of your parks and, and taking care of your potholes are the critical features of infrastructure and where we need to be. And I, and I firmly believe that if we have a robust system to make sure that, that if you have a pothole, you know, and by pothole I mean something about the size of a pot, yes. that we find out about it, we can fix it quickly. And it's not a major impediment. It's not, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't damage cars and tires. You know, I was I was one of those starving college kids once upon a time and I know that if uh, if you blow out a tire when your budget is tight, that's a major economic in, investment and we can help everybody in terms of great economic equalizers if we make sure that our roads are safe yes. and that they are adequate. If you have if you it's part of our responsibility in the unincorporated area to make sure that you you have adequate roads in terms of that they're wide enough and that you have enough uh, signals and lights to make sure that everything flows smoothly. If you're stuck in traffic, that costs the public money. If it takes you all day to do two trips and you're an individual who's dependent upon either making sales or making deliveries or having meetings to make sure that you can engage in your business, but if you didn't have bad traffic, you could do three or four trips then, then the government has failed you in terms yeah. of its basics of making sure that your potholes, i.e. your mobility, is, is set and fixed, making sure that your parks are there, and making sure that public safety is, is taken care of.
0: All right, Jake. thanks for letting me know. So the next time I see a pothole, I, I know who to call now. <laughs> oh, yes,
1: call us. Uh, you can go onto our website, which is uh, hcp4.net, and put in that work order. And we would love to be able to assist that and and it also that dovetails our road and bridge crews who also take care of our of our potholes also help us with regard to that component of whenever a storm is coming in. We drive through the neighborhoods and try to make sure that all the debris is out of the ditches and not in the way of the drainage areas you know and, and yes. everybody can help us on that because a lot of times you don 't realize it's the little things that uh, there's an old there 's an old proverb that says it 's the the little foxes that destroy the vine, oh, yeah. uh, it's its the little things that clog up your drainage system. Uh, anybody that's ever dealt with hair in a drainage system in the shower knows that each hair is not that much, but when it piles up in there, then it ends up clogging up the entire drainage process. Right. And we're, we we drive through ourselves, that you can help to make sure that there's not a pile of leaves close by the, the drains. Uh, that you keep that all out of out of the drains and out of the ditches, that you keep the debris out of there because all of that stuff begins to clog up and slow down. And our systems actually work fairly well when they are left at top peak performance. And so call us if you see that there's some debris or that there's a drainage issue uh, that's in a neighborhood because that's part of our job is to make sure that we keep that safe.
0: Well, I'm glad we're getting that message out because, yeah, I feel like, The average maybe constituent or resident, they don't know that role of the commissioner and how you can help them. So once again, just very glad that we're communicating this right now. And then there's – I feel like it's different for me because I'm I'm entrenched in the political community. So I have a a general understanding of, like, commissioner's court, county judge, and their roles. But like I said, for an average person, that's just – if they're busy in their daily lives, they may not be as aware of how important your – that institution is and how Im- impactful it is, too.
1: Well, and in, in, in a couple of the areas that are really hot-button issues right now for us is, is that in order to commission our public safety, in order to commission our parks, and in order to, to commission fixing of the potholes and make sure that we, we have uh, adequate mobility in our region, we have to first levy the tax. Yes. And and this is a critical issue in our time right now with regard to taxes, and I'm, I'm an advocate that we need to take a tax payer perspective and not a tax spender perspective. I like that. Let me, yeah, <laughs> let, um, let me say it again. We need Please to look do. at it from the tax payer side of the equation, not from the tax spenders yes. side of the equation. And we, we just recently had some drama in commissioner's court over this next year's budget. And uh, we, in this next year's budget, when I say we, I mean the majority, mm-hmm. um, uh, Judge Hidalgo, uh, Adrian Garcia, and Rodney Ellis, voted for a budget that only gave our local law enforcement 15% of what they were asking for. and And blamed the reason why they were only giving them 15% of what they asked for was because Commissioner Tom Ramsey and I had stood in their way of, of giving adequate tax base. In other words, that we stood in their way. They needed more taxes from the taxpayers, and we stood in their way of doing that. Um, and candidly, they are correct in part. We did stand in the way of increasing the taxes on the public. And it's very simple. Texas has a law that says that in order to raise taxes, you have to have four people of the five-member commissioner's court to be present. And if two of them decide to vote with their feet, it breaks what's called a quorum. You have to have a quorum. And if you don't have a quorum, Texas law so protects, and this is in our Constitution going way back into the early 1800s, um it so protects the individual's right to be protected in your property to not be taxed out of your property you have to have four members of court present now they only have to vote for three to increase the tax but you have to have four that are there or you can't raise the taxes and and that's to protect the public from from one away taxation because if you you know the power to tax is the power to kill it is you can kill business. You can drive people out of their homes if you do not slow down. And despite Harvey, despite the tax day flood, the Memorial Day flood, the other floods that we've had, and despite the pandemic, property taxes have continued to rise in our region. And we had a choice to whether we could add on top of the increase from those appraisal values, a maximum increase on the taxes. And there's a debate going on whether If they had been hitting the maximum increase from the 8% that they wanted three years ago, and then Commissioner Ramsey and I actually walked and did not show up and busted the quorum, um, they estimate that that was worth about $220 million of what the tax spenders could have had to spend. And that's the fault of Commissioner uh, Raddick and I three years ago. Tom Ramsey and I, in the last two years, have forced compromises on the budget's Uh, to where we fully funded the flood control, but we did not fund all the other areas that they wanted to tax in terms of raising that value. And so at the end of the day, what I proposed was a budget that went back to 2018 before we've had this radical expansion of all of these different programs that are sometimes hard to keep track of and and just say, let's just take that as a basis. Um, The Harris County Public, has had to tighten their belt, why should not your government? And instead of the government expanding and making those who are trying to recover from the pandemic, those who are trying to recover from their work and their jobs and their layoffs and and all of this, instead of putting the burden on those folks who are trying to get back out there and engage in business again, uh, let's share that same burden and not increase our tax burden on them. and so, as a consequence, we've we have effectively slowed the growth of at least the amount of resources that would have come from the taxpayer, either 220 to estimates are between 600 million and almost a billion dollars that could have been diverted, mm-hmm. and that's a gift that keeps on going because you keep uh, it's you keep adding every year three and a half on top of what it was the year before. Once right. you put that in, you change your base. And so where, where we our, – our controversy is that who's right? Am, am I right? Am Tom Ramsey? Are we right that we need to look at it from the taxpayer perspective and tighten their belt? If we got – if we went back to 2018 before we had all of these new programs where we're now in the county government uh, spending uh, tens of millions of dollars on early childhood education, Now, you may be a believer in early childhood education, but you've got this thing that's called 29 school districts that deal with education. Harris County doesn't have the job of getting involved in early childhood education, so why would we take money from the taxpayers who need to have the basics of government and put it into early childhood education? We even created a department of early childhood education now Mm. in Harris County. Not our job, but but we still spend the taxpayers' money uh, to do that free lawyers, all kinds of free lawyers, free lawyers for, for non-citizens in federal court. Um, anybody note that we're Harris County? Why is the county involved in federal, federal court, affairs yeah. uh, and spending hard-fought tax dollars for that? Um, and where's my free lawyer, by the way, since the county is handing out free lawyers in differing, differing avenues? And so at the end of the day, if, you win, if we went back to 2018 – And just said, okay, we'll just tighten our belt and go back to there. And then gave to our local law enforcement what it is that they asked for, for what they needed to be able to stop the crime-demic, to look at our local—instead of looking to to Chicago's, and oftentimes Chicago's touted as a best practice, or L.A., who is touted as having a best practice by the majority on court, instead of looking at them for best practices and and oh by the way since we've been following chicago as a best practice we're now number one we now have more murders than chicago uh back and forth i think that Mm. they may be slightly ahead of us right now but we're in a neck and neck race with chicago for the most number of murders go figure we follow them as a best practice and we start to emulate them with regard to the crime it's wrong we need to ask our local law enforcement what to do and, and, and quit spending millions of dollars of the taxpayers' money on studies as to what other people are doing because people aren't fleeing from here to go to Chicago or fleeing from here to go to Seattle or fleeing from here to go to Los Angeles. They're leaving those places to come here to be safe.
0: That is, yeah. And
1: similar. engage in business. Right. And so um, in terms of, of that, we, need, we can fund everything that our local law enforcement desires utilizing the wisdom of our local law enforcement instead of all of these folks out there. And these studies. The studies. Mm -hmm. And by the way, whenever you hear somebody say that we're going to be smart on crime, normally that's a precursor to saying that they're going to deny your local cop what the local cop wants. Uh, They're going to be smarter than your local cop on how to figure out how to stop crime in the local
0: cop's Hmm, neighborhood. That doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, it's it's, but it's we're going to be smarter. We're going to, yeah. I'm smarter than the cop who's just, actually working the streets, so I'm going to decide what they need. And yeah, so you ridiculous. get into this, you you get into yeah. this whole bit, and, and and I'm sorry,
0: it's almost insulting. You know, it's, it is very uh, insulting to that law enforcement officer because uh, yeah, yeah, they're out there on the front lines, risking their lives, and most of the people are saying what you just said, they're at a, they're at a desk in an office. <laughs> we're going to be smart on crime, and we're
1: we're going to. We're going to give you these tools that you didn't ask for because we're smarter than you. Right. And when, well, when most of the time, our local law enforcement, what they really need is more boots on the ground. Agreed. They yeah. just presence. need presence. Yes. They need they need hands, uh, and they need to be backed up in the court system. Right. Um, yeah. You know, our our, our right. prosecutors right now. If you are a if you're a public defender, you get paid twice as much as an entry level public defender. That's those who defend the accused. Gets paid twice as much as the entry-level prosecutor, the person whose job it is to push the case through the process. And if you are in the public defender's office, you get a cap on your caseload of 100 to 125 cases that you handle. Whereas our prosecutors, in addition to being paid a fraction of what the public defender, those who are representing those who are accused of a crime, the prosecutors – are are having to carry loads of between six hundred and eight hundred cases each, so you take a young kid right out of school, you give them a job in the public defenders in the in the, in the prosecutor's office, and those guys are going to be overworked and overwhelmed, and it's their job to make sure that justice is done. It's their job to make sure that the victims of crime have their day in court, and so when you overwhelm them and you underpay them, then you're going to have a negative consequence in your courts. It's just not right. Now. Having said that, um, if you have that person who is unjustly arrested and is innocent and they're in the criminal justice system, the best thing for that person would be to have enough prosecutors and adequate court space to be able to get in and have a fair, fast trial. They're going to sit there and languish in the system because there's not enough prosecutors to make sure that their case gets pushed through if they're innocent. And they need to have a quick, fast, fair trial. Now, if you're a criminal, a fast, fair trial is the last thing that you want. You 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 want a you want a slow opportunity to be able to continue to perpetuate uh, while right. you're out on your bond and your multiple bonds and your bonds on your bonds on your bonds, uh, your livelihood and your trade of preying on others.
0: Right. Yeah. The. It's it's interesting the the situation right now with with in regards to law enforcement and how that connection is very important, but there seems to be that big disconnect because the interesting thing about a lot of the people delegating these these statements that you said earlier that how can they be the experts if they don't even have any uh, experience in law enforcement? And so some of them do, don't get me wrong, but I would say majority don't. Am I right about that? Aaron?
1: Most of the folks who pontificate about how we have to be smarter about yes. law enforcement yeah. don't have any experience in law enforcement. That's what I figure. There's some and, that And, do. and yeah. their experience is that they have done studies, of uh, best oh, practices. You hear the different. phrase yeah, best practices <laughs> uh, cringe. So if they're going to be smarter and they're going to use best practices – when we're using the best practices of Chicago and LA, oh. we end up
0: with the results of Chicago and LA. Right, and I'm talking about actually wearing a uniform and being out on the front lines. That's different from, oh yeah, what you just said. <laughs> That's astonishing that they would claim that, though. That's almost disrespectful to the the law enforcement officers out there. Well, we
1: we have seen a great deal of disrespect in the current commissioner's court. Mm. A year ago, after we went through budget season. Part of the budget was a fund that most of the law enforcement entities in this county and and specifically the eight county uh, constables, had, which is called a rollover account. And a rollover account is, in essence, a savings account. And that is, if you didn't spend all of the funds that you had been allocated the prior year, and you could make a few little savings here and a few savings there, then you could use your rollover account to purchase that car, to purchase that next thing that you needed to do to help make your budget round out. Right. So it's like a savings account. It's exactly like a savings account. And many mm-hmm. of us if you deplete your savings account on the 31st of the month when your rent's due on the 1st, you're mm-hmm. going to be in a heap of trouble. Right um, After the budget process was over with, not before, but after the budget process was over with, the majority of this court voted to take the rollover accounts, the savings accounts away from the constables, $20 million. That's a lot. They took away from them and then said that they weren't rating their budget because... Uh, Judge Adago at the time said they were squirreling it away in this rollover account
0: it's and that it saving. wasn't
1: being used. <laughs> you know, you know that's, that's the whole concept of a savings account yeah, is you that you have it available leave it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that you could use it when you need it. Absolutely. And so, yeah. um, so they they took the money away from them um, and then gave some of it back in differing places that they didn't ask for and didn't need. Right. And previously they'd been given some discretion that's there. And so this is because – because the majority of this court was smarter than the constables, and mm. how they could save both save the funds and then also spend it where it would be best beneficial for the people that they they're independent elected officials, they're the experts in their communities, and they they believe that this is where those funds needed to be. But we took their accounts away from them.
0: No, that's interesting. It's and when to,
1: I say we, I mean the
0: majority, three two. Okay, okay, yeah. It's a good time to be having this discussion because the voters can make a difference and their voices can be heard and it's oddly enough the way I see uh, taxes I don't it's hard for me to actually see that as a uh, partisan issue like if you just use your common sense like who would want higher taxes (laughs) and who would want no law enforcement in their communities once I don't really think this is a left or right or Democrat or Republican issue it's just more of a uh, people need to see what is sensible what is right and wrong and then I recommend people voting based on that and they will, they can, if they do a little bit of research, obviously they can find which candidate slash platform, platform supports that. Jimmy,
1: you are 100% correct. Thank you so much, Commissioner. I, I, I have not yet met a pothole that had a R for Republican on it right. or a D for Democrat. Yeah. I have not yet met a bathroom that needed to be cleaned that had an R on it for Republican or a D on it. It was a right. pothole that needed to be fixed, or right. it was a bathroom that needed to be cleaned. And a tax, when you were trying to um, – when you're trying to, to, at the end of the day, survive after all that we've been through, increasing taxes on you, it doesn't say on the tax bill, this is a Democrat tax bill or this is a Republican tax right. bill. It is you got you got to pay us more money Absolutely. when you're yeah. trying to make a go of it. And when the criminal yeah. – uh, you know, robs you. He doesn't normally wear a uh, a political banner for a political party when he robs you. And in fact, most of our constables in this county that I'm proud to support are not Republicans, although I am a Republican. I am supporting them all. Our RDA is not a Republican. She's a Democrat. Um, but I'm an advocate of getting her adequate prosecutors because right. – Prosecutors need to be in place to prosecute the people that need to be arrested, and you need to have enough constables and sheriffs to arrest the people who are committing crime. And, and this is, you know, you and I had a, had the privilege of being together at a dinner a while back, and I, I, I went kind of nerdish on you at the time and, and quoted a, uh, an old ancient writer by the name of Thucydides who wrote 400 B.C., and, and he had a similar set of discussion on, and he wrote about the Peloponnesian Wars, Thucydides. And the Peloponnesian Wars were the, were the wars between Sparta and Athens. And a lot of folks when they're in school, they, they remember studying about that. Uh, many people are, are actually more familiar with another writer by the name of Herodotus who wrote about uh, the war with Persia and Greece, and that was the movie. Three hundred came from that. And good so movie. Yeah. It was a good movie, and and so right now the the other ancient great historian gets a little bit more traction because it was a good movie. There's no good movie right now out there between Sparta and Athens, mm. so he's not as well known. But in in his book, in the beginning of his book, he was trying to figure out why was it that Sparta and Athens were such great economic powerhouses, and why was Greece doing so well at that time that they would end up being in this big, what at that time was a global conflict between these two nations. And he was trying to figure out what was the key to their economic success? Because if you've ever been on a vacation to Athens and you look around, it's not really a, a place that you would expect to have a whole lot of wealth or prosperity. Sparta, not necessarily a place of a lot of wealth and prosperity, a little bit more of agricultural side. So why was it that these two entities and some of the other Greek city-states were doing so well economically in their time? And, and over a long period of time, Thucydides wrote in in short, that the first thing that occurred was that the ancient Greeks stopped the piracy. Um, piracy was rampant at the time. And, and it was of such a level to where People would actually proudly say, you know, what's your trade? You know, well, you're a media person, and and someone else might be a lawyer, and someone else might be an accountant, and I might be a pirate. And it would be, oh, okay, nice house business. It wasn't a big deal Hmm. uh, of what your trade is. And uh, and the ancient Greeks gathered together and put together a navy to stop piracy because the pirates would raid – why would you grow a crop if it was going to be raided and you weren't going to make a profit off of it? Why would you put that crop on a ship if the ship was going to be stolen or sunk? And so the first thing that they did is they banded together and they stopped the piracy. And then they invested in their infrastructure, their ports. Um, you can go into the ancient world today and see these beautiful ports that were there which encouraged commerce. Yes. Places, these these public places where you could come in, uh, the agoras and the and the stoas and whatnot. And because of the ability to engage in trade and the places, the public forum to engage in trade, the infrastructure, as it were, in place, they prospered. And it ended up that the Sparta and Athens ended up fighting each other at the end. But uh, that, in a nutshell, is the, the key to the economic prosperity of ancient Greece was they stopped the pirates and they invested in their ports and their, and their ships and their infrastructure. And I would contend that the same thing is true today. You know, we have places that people talk about, which is the food deserts and the, the blighted parts of our towns. Yes. And one of the things is that there are people who would be willing to go in there and sell food if it was safe or if they could make a profit. But if, you're going to be, if all of your profit is going to be taken from you by those who rob you, Or if your life is at risk by opening up in a place like that, folks aren't going to open up. But if it was safe, you could. We saw this in old uh, New York back in the day where you had all those immigrant communities that were very, very poor, but you had the beat cops that would go by. And there were safe places for folks to engage in trade. And so there were a lot of restaurants and folks would come. And then those communities ultimately began to progress and have additional prosperity. And I believe firmly that if we provide safety, if we stop the piracy, and if we invest in the infrastructure, make sure that you've got beautiful parks to be able to relax in that are safe, that you've got your sidewalks are clean and your streets are clean and that your potholes are fixed and you invest in your infrastructure, that commerce will naturally flow and that we all, you know, that's, that's the great equalizer. Uh, if everybody can engage in trade and not have to worry about it, and one of the biggest problems that we have right now is is that it is our poorest communities that are often the most that are preyed upon in fact there 's a stat of our one hundred and fifty seven people now who have, who are dead. let me say that differently one hundred and fifty seven people who are dead they 're not with us they 're not living they 're not breathing yes. and it, and, it, and it every time I think of it, it makes me shudder and and makes me um, just just cringe grieve yes. um but most of those are that, that were killed were killed by folks who were out on multiple bonds, but 88% of them were people of color. In other words, when we talk about many times of trying to release these folks repeatedly, the excuse that's giving is to try to have uh, – uh, that there's somehow or another a discriminatory effect with regard to those who are being arrested. But we don't look at those who are the victims – and the victims 88% are people of color colored as well. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. why don't we care about the victims? If we care about the disparity, let's care about the victims. Right. And those yeah. folks and if I'm if I'm a rich person and I get robbed, I can go back to the ATM to get the money that was stolen from me. If if uh, you beat me up, I've got insurance and I can go and and I'm not going to lose on medical bills and I'm probably got Coverage with my employer, where if I lose a day or two, it's not going to hurt me. Jack, you're a pretty big guy, though. I don't think this is the wrong person to mess with. <laughs> but if you're a football player, build. Uh, yes, and, and, and my son did play in the SEC for a little while. Oh, nice. But, uh, um, but if you're poor, if you're poor and you are robbed and beat up in the process, um, and you're a single mom trying to take care of a family. Where are you going to get the money to pay for the medical bills? Where are you going to get the money that you lost when they stole it from you? And where are you going to make up for the money of when you've lost work? A kid's going to go without a meal, or rent might get lost and you get evicted. If you are the poorest of our society, crime is a huge regressive tax. It hurts us all, but it hurts the poorest of our communities the most. And so if we say that we care about
0: the poor, then we need to stop the crime in the poor communities. Right. And then, like I said, the way that citizens and constituents can do that is by voting. And early voting goes on until the end of this upcoming week. And polls are pretty much open from 7 to 7, is that correct? 7 to 7.
1: And we can give you a link to Harris County hcp 4.net uh, can give you a link, or you can go on to uh, Harris Votes, Are two websites that you can go to. I do do want to caution folks that with all of the recent redistricting, some of the voting locations get to be Crazy. a little confusing. Um, and so, uh, but you can go online and you can find out where you can vote. And, and in early voting, you can vote at any voting location in the That's county. That's convenient.
0: Uh, now, you can't vote
1: in a Harris County voting location for a race that's going on in Fort Bend, and you can't vote in Fort oh, okay. Bend for a race in Harris County.
0: Okay, so you have to be in the county.
1: You have to be okay. in the county, but you can go to any voting location in that county and vote at any of them. So if, you're, if you've if you got an early voting location that's close to your home, um, but it's hard for you to get there and you're downtown, there are early voting locations downtown that you can go to, and your vote um, will be counted if you vote early. Uh, at any of those early voting locations.
0: Well, excellent. Yeah, I already voted and we encourage Commissioner Cagle and I encourage you to do the same thing because ultimately that's the best way for you to make a difference. Make your voice heard. Absolutely. Jack, I'm going to go back to some of the topics that you talked about. Uh, I, I like the parks in Harris County as well. I use them for the fresh air, the nice scenery. So thanks for doing that. And then another thing that you mentioned is just having less government in in our lives. I feel like that'll actually solve a lot of the the problems we're having, that's where I lean a bit libertarian, the libertarian philosophy of just less government, because right now the two parties just want to – they want everything, and they never let it go. <laughs> well, we,
1: we still have our county judge with emergency powers, and we're at red level, uh, alert red still. Yeah. Uh, but the rodeo is going forward. I was actually there over the weekend with the uh, – awesome. uh, we we had our kids that were competing that were, were special needs kids, uh, top hands, and that's a great program. And so I got to be there for their entry day parade cool. for the special needs kids. And I got a buddy that uh, I'm really proud of. He got a belt buckle uh, in nice. riding uh, in one of the little competitions they have in there. And so you you can go to sporting events, you can go everywhere else. But if you uh, uh, if you try to go into a county building, we're still on
0: red level uh, red level alert um yep. and, and we're under emergency powers yeah i'm a big fan of the rodeo myself so yeah I like the culture good good attraction for the city kind of bi- bring people together as well and it's a lot of fun too yeah and en- entertainment is important in the city because people want to do fun things too outside of oh, work Absolutely. so events like that i think are critical to the greater houston area as a whole and harris county and it's a great economic driver too oh absolutely another thing is uh So for those that are watching that are not from Harris County, that covers, like, most of the greater Houston area, correct? Correct. And what other cities does that – Harris County actually has
1: 39 cities. Thirty-nine. Eight of which are not named the city of Houston.
0: Uh, So so what are some of the big ones, like, for the people that don't – that aren't from around
1: here? Our larger cities in in Harris County would be Katy over out in this area, Hmm. um, and then Tomball, and then – in the old precinct four, we had we had a little sliver of Katy. We had we had um, Spring Branch, which is City of Houston, uh, which is in there. But you had Jersey Village, you had Tomball, you had Heights, you had Humble. Pardon me, you had um, uh, Kingwood over on the other side. We had and it's a pseudo city but we had woodlands and a lot of folks don't realize that much of all the growth of the woodlands is actually in harris county up on the north side and then we had old town spring which is a pseudo city there Mm -hmm. uh in cypress creek over here in the new precinct four we have hockley which is actually a not a large city but it's uh and a piece of waller which are are good cities out in uh in our more rural area uh is a huge manufacturing plant that opened up over there near hockley and and waller and then uh, of course we still have katie and then cinco ranch down on the south side i'm not quite sure of what its incorporation status is but we have more people that live not in a city than those who live in a city in harris county right now and that's an interesting stat and when you are not in a city then your county commissioner is your primary source of services in terms of the governor we would we would be across at that place uh, both your mayor and your governor uh, in terms of that and and you know and to give a to give a little grasp of the size of harris county if harris county were a state our population would be roughly the same size maybe a little bit larger than the entire the population the entire state of louisiana that's yeah, huge. And so um, in terms of each precinct, in the old precinct four, because we were pushing up before equalization, we were pushing 1.3 million people. We were larger than 10 states. Oh, uh, right. And now that each precinct is down to 1.1 million, we are larger than eight states. Each of us are. And uh, the, the states that are close to us in size would be Maine and Hawaii.
0: In terms of each of your four precincts, okay, yeah. Moving, uh, let's go ahead and move forward because we have to wrap this up actually pretty soon. Time flies when you're having fun, right, Jack? Well, thank you so let's, much. I'm, I'm, I appreciate getting to talk about these things I'm passionate about. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I just I, I feel it. I feel the energy, which is great. The so initially, why did you decide to get into politics? And then, second, what does a day as commissioner look like? Because I know you're out in the acti- uh, You're very active and out there in the community, which I like. Because I I like it when the elected officials are out there uh, speaking to constituents, getting to know them, and hearing concerns about what's going on.
1: I, I credit my grandfather with why I'm in public service. And when I was a young child, he would say that every few generations, we had someone that would go into public service, that you could pursue money, and that was fine and good, but that every few generations, we had someone that went into public service, and it was about time. That we had someone to go in, so some from a very young age, he would he would share stories of the people in the family that had had uh, you know our our first ancestor that came over here, uh, fled religious persecution, but was a judge, mm-hmm. and uh, served as a judge. And he, uh, some of your folks will know that that uh, my common law name is Cactus Jack Cagle yeah. and Cactus Jack Garner. Vice President Roosevelt served in three branches of government. He served uh, as a judge in his early days, and then he served as a Speaker of the House, and then he was Vice President under Roosevelt. Uh, He's the one that made the statement that being Vice President wasn't worth a warmed over bucket of spit, and there's a lot of debate over what he meant when he said that or whether that's an accurate quote. (laughs) But but in terms of, of that... The idea of if I worked hard and studied hard and pursued public service, it was time for us to contribute back to this great country that yes. has been so good to us uh, through these generations. And so that inspired me. Uh, my grandfather ended up being the uh, best man in my wedding, and I've been married for almost 40 a little bit past 40 years now.
0: Oh, congratulations!
1: And so he's, uh, you know, he's, he's long gone, but I, I like to think I was a judge before I was a commissioner, and as a commissioner, right. when I'm working in the precinct, it's very much like being in, it is the executive branch, clearly, yes. and then when we are downtown working in that body of five, it's like being in a Senate. You have to work with each other to try to, right. uh, and and prior to three years ago, we actually worked really well together, even across party lines, to try to pursue what was the best for the people uh and maybe COVID
0: uh, is what kind of threw things off there
1: no so, I, I think, think it's, it's the new kids ago. that came oh okay <laughs> a different okay. a different vision for how things should be done we gotcha. we shifted from where we tried to work together and very rarely did we vote where it wasn't 5-0 and unanimous we would work on things until we could come up with a plan that was good for everybody i like that and
0: now we vote 3-2 on most issues okay so what, is in, what do you see as the future of Harris County and then future for yourself, Jack?
1: Well, the future for Harris County is we're dependent upon you and your listeners and others to, I think, to stand up and say enough is enough. We need to end this crime-demic. We need crime-demic. We need to end this, this spending spree and this bloatedness of government. Yes. And the way to do that is 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 at the polling locations. Now, there are going to be some folks who say, "You know, I think I want my government to be bigger and I think i'm happy with these new progressive ideas and if you feel that way then 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 vote me out um, But at some point, we need to go back to the basics. The basics are not bad, and i and I think that there is a a sense amongst the average citizen that enough is enough um, yeah I, I'm talking to folks from all different kinds of communities and many different ethnicities. I say, you know, we came here to avoid the crime. Yes. And now the crime is now back. getting
0: it. Yeah.
1: You know, we came here to avoid being taxed out of our homes and having to spend so much. And now the taxes look like they're starting to go up again. And so when it comes to that, um, the future, I think, is bright if we can get back on the track of let's focus on on the basics and not focus on every new trend or or new study or the best practices of the places that people are fleeing from. Right. Let's stick with what we know that works here, which has made us unique and has made us exceptional and a great place to work, breathe. We, we have one of the most diverse communities, if not the most diverse community in America. And it is marvelous. I it's love fun.
0: It. I love it. Yeah. It is
1: a blast and all we need is to is just like in
0: ancient Athens, be safe and let's invest in our infrastructure. Yes, I I really like that quote that you said, back to the basics, Uh, even in regards to public health, Jack, uh, when I talk to my friends, I promote just start eating a little healthier, get a little exercise and make some friends. And you'd be surprised how your immune system gets boosted up just by those things. Because there's a lot of people out there right now promoting these vaccines rather than natural just basic ways of taking care of your health and wellness and you probably agree with me on this right Jack?
1: Oh yeah and I'm a big fan of personal responsibility maybe it's because I'm a native Texan um, and uh, and I believe in personal responsibility Um, I voted for every initiative to where we make vaccines and testing available to the public but I am not someone who's been a big advocate of mandating anything to anybody in fact when you look at states to where they've not employed mandates you will find that they have greater compliance than places when you order somebody. And that's just kind of the way our culture is. Yeah. I order you to do something. And no, you, I usually don't we, listen. You're, you know, <laughs> uh, I, know. I don't have to do what you say. <laughs> but I say, hey, um, would you mind doing this? Because this is how it can help. I've never yet heard anybody that when they were asked, hey, uh, I've got a health condition. Would you mind putting on a mask? And I'll put on a mask because I've got a health condition. And I want to talk to you. I've not heard anybody say no. Um, but if someone says, put on your mask. Or I'm going to do something to you. Then I think you get a whole different reaction. And I think that our public is ready to move back to that distinctiveness of personal responsibility. Move away from mandates. And, in fact, England right now has just banned all mandates. And uh, and we're starting to see in some places to where they're doubling down on all of the mandates. uh, You know, Canada is an interesting case uh, to where we take away people's freedoms. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm yeah. not. I'm not a big fan of taking away people. I'm a big fan on asking folks and yeah. giving
0: them compelling reasons right. and letting them make their own decisions and choices. Yeah, those people that tell, try to force me to wear a mask, I tell them to pound sand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, any. Oh, happy! By the way, to the audience out there, happy President's Day. Any thoughts about any reflections about that? It's, this is very. I'm, I'm, this is such a special day to be here with you, Jack, on President's Day. President's Day, you know, and,
1: and of course on President's Day we we initially we honored it because of George Washington, right? Who we should all remember with great gratitude because he was given the opportunity early on with the army at his back to have turned us into a dictatorship, and he resigned his commission and stepped back and allowed our nation to flourish because he didn't. He he did not abuse that spot, but he loved our country so much yeah. to allow us to continue to to develop ultimately into the Constitution that we have today. Yes. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, and and we talk about Abraham Lincoln quite often in precinct four and his uh, his cabinet where he actually had people of differing views and perspectives that worked on his cabinet. Interesting. So that he could hear the differing arguments and thoughts so that he could make the best decision. And I try to employ that in in our cabinet in precinct four where I actually have quite a few folks of very different views and perspectives that, that work in uh, uh, the differing positions in the precinct. And yes. I like to get, the, I, I like to hear from everybody. Uh, the ancient Romans had a phrase that was called the tertium quid, which is roughly translated the third answer or the third solution. Interesting. A lot of times if you have somebody who has one answer and you listen to their reason and you listen to a second person with their answer and you listen to what they're both saying, many times you'll come up with a third solution to the problem that incorporates the best of both of those
0: solutions. And so That's interesting. We, we need that more right now in society. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's usually, yeah, uh, my way or the highway. Or, or, or not be able you, to tolerate If you disagree with
1: me, I'm going to cancel to you.
0: Yeah, that's what I see a lot right now. Yeah. So there are, I, I'm, I'm very strong in my views, but I, I'm okay with entertaining other ideas and listening. I'm not, I don't get emotional or heated or angry and start calling people bad names just because they have a different view. And that's why I like this, this story you're telling me.
1: All right. And you had, uh, you had a second part to that, and I forgot. I got all caught up in talking about... It's the okay. quid.
0: Yeah, it's okay. So we'll go to, what are, what's some of your, your best moments uh, from your career thus far? And then whenever you had adversity throughout your career, career, how did you deal with that and keep moving forward? Two-part question. The best
1: moments are where we get to help people. Uh, we have a community assistance department. Uh, you can go to, to our website, hcp4.net, and type in something. But our community assistance department doesn't discriminate on whether you're in precinct four or three or the old four or the new three or in a city or not in a city. But it's their job if you're a member of the community to assist. And it's really um, a wonderful way of us being able to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, and during, during times of crises, I'm out there with the crews. Uh, during the icepocalypse, I was out there. Uh, my job is not a very glorious job, but I ride around in the, in the county Tahoe behind with the lights flashing so that our folks who don't know better don't tailgate and smash into the back of our truck that's about to lay down rock on a bridge right. um, because they get too close, slam on the brakes, and you can damage that vehicle. Right. Um, and or if they get too close, when they turn the switch on to start throwing the rock, they get their front all ground off with the, with the rock as the spinners come out, because people here are mm. just not familiar with it. But yeah. uh, in the storms, I'm out there with the crews. I remember Joe one time when he was working for Ed Emmett, and it was during a Harvey had told me that somehow or another there was a helicopter crew watching me lift little old ladies up into the back of a dump truck because we didn't have enough high water rescue vehicles, and so we were using our dump trucks to, to mm. rescue people. And, uh, and Joe thought it was really, really cute watching me from some eye in the sky lift little old ladies up into – Joe was in the, in the studio room. That's why I'm looking over that way. Um, and so it's those moments when you get to help people that thrill me the most. When, you, when you're able to put that road in or fix that little thing there, that's, that's what helps most. And then that second question that you asked?
0: Yeah, we're, well, we're, we're going to wrap it up from here. I have one more question, but I'm glad to hear that you were actually – you were here during those times of crisis because some people fled. I'm not going to mention their names, but we are well aware of who left. But the last question to wrap up the show, Commissioner Cagle, is three tips to be successful as an elected official.
1: As an elected official, I'm often told I'm not a good politician because I always try to figure out what is the right thing to do. And, And I may get unelected. Because I felt like it was not the right thing to raise taxes, and I feel like it is the right thing to support our law enforcement. And for a while there, that wasn't very popular to be on the side of law enforcement, especially not in right. amongst the majority Less- of a commissioner's court. Right. But do the right thing for the right reasons, and and let the chips where they fall. And And maybe that's not a key to be successful in politics, but at least it's a key for being a successful person. Yes. And then- I I would add, and this goes to a prior question that you asked uh, to be successful, always ask yourself two questions. this comes from my grandfather who was my best man and who gave me the name Cactus Jack. Whenever you face a problem, ask yourself two questions. The first question is, has it been done before? And if the answer is yes, then you know that with the help of God, you can do it too. Now, if the answer is it's never been done before, that's when you ask the second question. And that is, Jimmy, why not be the first?
0: That's true. Well, thanks for that, that wisdom, Jack. And also thanks for sharing your story. And lastly, thank you so much for coming to the studio to do the interview and also to your communications director, Joe Steinbaker. Did I say that right? You did. Thank you all both for coming here. Great show today. Jimmy Kim here. We will see you next week, 12 to 1 p.m. Monday. Have a great President's Day. Bye.